0: Before we begin our study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week, we are in the 10 days of Ah, Yamim Naraim, the period from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. And we have a special Haftorah, a triple Haftorah portion, which we read from uh, this morning for Shabbat Shuva, the Shabbat that is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's a time for us to be humble before the Lord and to express our contrition before the Lord a time to examine ourselves before him and to consider the great mercies that he shows us. It's not a time to take anything for granted. It's a time to draw close to God. It's a time to remember how much Yeshua has accomplished for us, the sacrifice that he has made for us, its value and importance. This is also a time for us to remember what we went through in the hurricanes in recent years and the the, um, surges, the winds, the rainfall, the flooding that we experienced. And with that in mind to remember uh, the people who are going through these storms right now. Those on the coasts of the Carolinas and Virginia, those in the Philippines and in China, who if you haven't been following that one are facing a category five storm one that's called a super typhoon. So we want to keep praying for those who are in the Carolinas, in Virginia, who are experiencing outages and who are at risk in in many ways, praying for their recovery and praying for uh, freedom and protection for all of them. Now, I've been following the news, in in fact, I don't know why, it's not my normal custom, but when we're facing a storm, I pay real close attention. How about you? But when other people are facing a storm, I often find myself saying, well, thank you, Lord, it's not us. I'm being honest, you know, I'm sort of being less attentive. But for the last few days, I've been waking up every 30 minutes or an hour and just being mindful of the storm and what people are going through. And and praying for people and and updating myself and doing that cardinal sin of looking at the news on my iPhone in the middle of the night just to see what's happening with people. And one thing that I took note of was that in New Bern, um, there was great flooding from the river there. And I, I read this, more than 360 people were rescued from flooded areas and teams had nearly 140 more to go to get to. Uh Newbern said on his website Friday evening, Mayor Dana Outlaw, I mean, what a great name. <laughs> Mayor Outlaw had said some residents remained holdouts even after crews went door to door pleading for them to seek emergency shelter. So they sent people to knock on doors, to ring doorbells, and to plead with people. There was a mandatory evacuation, but you know what mandatory means in America? You do it if you want to, unfortunately. There were reasons for the evacuation. Many people stayed behind even though someone came to them and pleaded. I thought that was an interesting choice of words that NBC News reported. Individuals pleaded with people, don't stay. Go to safety now because the difficulty of rescuing people is just so great. It puts other people's lives at risk. We may not be able to come to you when you need help. And I read about that and I thought, wow, what commitment people had to go looking for those who were holding out. And before they themselves left town, they said, please, please, it's it's dangerous. You're putting yourself at risk. Please go. And yet some people stayed. And then I read about one of the people who stayed who was describing her experience, she said that uh, she was in her house and water started rising and it was like ankle deep and within a few seconds, it was waist deep. And she climbed the stairs to the second floor and ended up in the attic waiting. And people were being told, If this happens to you and you have to do it, get to the roof, get to the highest place you possibly can. But she was describing how the ocean surrounded her house and she was rescued. She was terrified. Then I read another story about someone who stayed and the headline that NBC News had for this was, I'm really upset at myself for staying. This person, this is the report, tales of rescue and heartbreak in Hurricane Florence's wake. Many who tried to ride the storm out in their homes found themselves in need of rescue. Staying put seemed like a good idea to Jeanette Rivera until until Hurricane Florence rumbled the shore on Friday. With wind whipping and water rapidly rising around her house in Sneeds Ferry, North Carolina, Rivera was cursing herself for not leaving when she had the chance and waiting to be rescued. I'm really upset at myself for staying, Rivera, 47 years old, told NBC News. I just want to get out of here. Rivera said she and her husband had ridden out other storms at home. She said they remembered how difficult it was for residents to get back after Hurricane Matthew in 2007. And I was reading that and I thought, wow, that is such a picture of the human dilemma. We actually assess things and we say to ourselves, you know, I made it through this kind of thing before I can make it again. We say to ourselves, I'm not gonna need to be rescued from anything. It's not gonna be that bad. And we assess things with that kind of understanding. We do that not just in the natural, we do that in the spiritual as well. I was one of those people who were sure of this. I don't need to be rescued from anything. Oh yeah, I would. On Yom Kippur, that would be you know, the, the day to confess sin, of course, but I was of the mindset, that's enough for the rest of the other days of the year. We'll talk about sin, we'll face sin, we'll humble ourselves, and if we do that, sort of sincerely, it's enough. That's all I need to do. I'll be good. I'll be fine. It'll be okay. I don't know how many of you are like that. You've, you've convinced yourselves, or you went through that period where you convinced yourselves, listen, I've made it this far. I can make it the rest of the way on my own with a little bit of help from Hashem, maybe, but I can really do it on my own. That's the human dilemma. We want just enough of God, but not too much. We actually think that we can make it on our own. I think that it's hard for us to recognize we need to be rescued. Even after we become believers, it's hard to remember we need to be rescued. We act like we're safe we minimize the spiritual situation we're in. But at this time of year, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we're to practice something. We're we're to practice humility before God. No bravado, no false confidences. We should have real confidence in what Yeshua has done. But not so much confidence in ourselves. We should have confidence in Him, not in us. We should know that that he has accomplished a sacrifice for us that is the atoning sacrifice that covers all of our sin, the past sin, the present sin, the future sin. But we shouldn't be boastful and we shouldn't minimize the importance of what he has done or our continuing need. I think this is one of the reasons why the scripture uses a variety of tenses to describe salvation. You have been saved. You will be saved. You are being saved. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. And the idea is we need to embrace all of those tenses, not because of insecurity, but because we need the manifestation and the reality of God's salvation now. We need it for times past. We need it for the future. We need it for eternity as well. And so it's important to appreciate all of that. We have to stop acting like we don't need to be rescued. Stop acting like we can handle the storm ourselves. We'll be fine, no problem, made it this far. Okay, maybe I have to climb up on the roof, no problem. That's not a good way of living. This week in the Torah portion, we're reading about the life of Moses and a review of his life and the life of the children of Israel. We're getting to the end of the fifth book of Moses, Devarim or Deuteronomy. Moses is reviewing what God has done for the children of Israel. He's reviewing the teachings and the deep purposes God has shown him. And it's such an important thing to do to reflect, to look back, to look clearly at the present and then to see the future in light of that with clarity and with understanding. And Moses receives a word from the Lord, He actually two words that are so difficult and challenging to deal with. One of the words is this, you are about to die real soon. Not only that, you will not go into the promised land And the reason is, well, you know, you know the reason. And Moses hears that, and I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who would be deflated if that happened to me. How about you? You set your heart on doing something, you commit, you sacrifice, you you do what you can. Oh yeah, you don't do it perfectly, who does? Isn't that the way we would think? And then God says, you know, that which you really set your heart on doing, that which I called you to do, ain't gonna happen. Then the second part of the word is this. There will come a time when I bring the children of Israel into the promised land without you, with Joshua and the others, and they're gonna forget the covenant. They are gonna forget everything They will not remember. They will live as if those things are unimportant, as if they can save themselves and rescue themselves. And it's going to go poorly for them because that's what happens. And they are not going to do well with me or with life. And I can imagine Moses taking stock. He's like, wait a minute. I'm going to die quick, and they're going to mess up big time. I'm out of here. It would be really easy to, to quit at that point and say, well, I'm for the American dream of success. Of course, he didn't know the American dream. It was a blessing for him to be unaware. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. He hears from the Lord that after the children of Israel receive the blessings God has promised that they'll forget the condition of those blessings. The blessings are part of a covenant that God has made and they will forget the covenant and they'll try to live their lives without faith and without faithfulness. That is the human dilemma. We think we can live without faith or faithfulness. And the Lord says it won't go well for them when that happens. But in fact, it doesn't go well for anyone when that happens. And people who try to do it, who end up coming to that place of humility and contrition before God, repenting from that kind of life, and turning and returning to him, are like the person who said, I am so upset with myself because I stayed for the storm and acted like that was okay. Each one of us has a time of reckoning, I think. Maybe many times of reckoning. Even the Lord will send people to us knocking on our doors. I want to beg of you, please respond to the Lord. Maybe you've been one of those people who's gone to a perfect stranger and said um, whatever you were taught to say trying to plead with people, turn to the Lord. It doesn't always work. And one of the reasons it doesn't always work is the heart's closed. And so the information is processed differently. The expectations that people have and their understanding of the future is just all messed up because their hearts are closed. Because of that, their eyes are closed. Because of that, their ears are closed. And they just don't see and hear and understand things properly. In fact, the human dilemma can only be solved with what we could call the God solution. God is the solution. God is the solution on God's terms. It's important for for you and me to remember that we sin. That we sin against God and His holiness. And it's important for us to remember what God has done for us. He's provided a way of atonement as as far as that goes, he's done everything. But we do have a part. What's our part? Our part is to be humble before God. Our part is to recognize our sin and our separation from the Lord and our need for an atoning sacrifice and our continuing need for an atoning sacrifice. Our part is to recognize that God provided that sacrifice and to Recognize that in Yeshua he's provided an atoning sacrifice that's sufficient for each of us and for all of us. And our part is to actively accept Yeshua and to be mindful and grateful, to be thankful to the Lord for the sacrifice he has provided for us. And Yom Kippur takes on deep meaning when we have that appreciation. Now it's great if we had it at some point but the Lord wants it to be fresh enough to us that it could be called first love. It could be that kind of love that's just so absorbing. So what's required of us that we continue in God's solution? We have to keep the Lord at the center of our focus and keep our hearts open to him. Keep our lives open open, live for him, live on his terms, and trust him that what he says is good is good. And what he says is evil is evil. Now God knows what's about to happen with Israel and he knows what's about to happen with Moses. And the fact is you and I know that too. Why? Because we can read as Cantor Aaron taught us earlier today. It's so important, not only what Moses learned, but what he wrote down so that anybody who could read, and I would amplify that, anyone who can listen to someone who can read, so that all of us are are accountable in a sense, because each one of us can hear the word, each one of us can read the word for ourselves and, and be aware. And so it's important that we not only start with understanding and start with enthusiasm, but that we keep going with understanding. Now, in this week's portion, we're reading that the time for Moses to die is near. And the Lord tells Moses that Israel is going to go forward without him. And they need to remember him, remember his teachings, what they learned from him, his example in life. But they're going into the promised land without Moses. And I think of Psalm 90 verse 12 that says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And here's a a moment where Moses can number his days because he can say, it's almost over. Rather than falling into self-pity or fear or disappointment or despondency, or guilt and self-condemnation, he uses the opportunity to draw close to the Lord, to understand what's going on, to see things clearly, to hear things clearly from the Lord, and then to respond with um, wisdom and with a positive view about God and the future. This is a great example for us because sometimes if we don't get our way, You know what we do? We just whine. And we complain to other people and we ask rhetorical questions about why something's happening. So the Lord says to Moses, in effect, your days are up. You're not going with them into the promised land. You're going with me. And that is the beauty of what the Lord is saying. It's not abandonment. He's telling Moses, it's time to leave them now. It's time to come with me. And as we'll read over the next few weeks, this is exactly what happens. Moses is not being abandoned. He's not being rejected. In fact, as I read it, the the Lord is with Moses as Moses goes to the place of his burial. And the Hebrew indicates that the Lord himself buries Moses, which is an amazing idea. The Hebrew is pretty explicit. It says, he himself, after mentioning the Lord, he himself buried Moses. That's a challenging idea for a lot of reasons, but it's especially challenging for anyone who has embraced the, Uh, the philosophical framework of Maimonides that abstracts God and and takes away God's ability to be uh, physical and to manifest any kind of material presence and, and basically says God is a spirit that is exclusively outside of the material world. That is an idea that has been embraced by much of rabbinic Judaism. It's a foundational thought. It's actually an idea that originates in uh, Islamic theology. That's where Maimonides got it from. It, It wasn't original, fully original, because the Greeks had some ideas like this too. And some of the great philosophers did but the idea that God could actually materialize inside of the physical world. This was considered like lowbrow theology, but it was Torah. This was considered not very sophisticated, but this is what Moses taught. And then when it's time for Moses to die, the scripture says, and the Lord buried Moses. Well, there's a problem. How does an unincorporated spirit being who's outside of the universe get his hands on a shovel? <laughs> you can imagine the difficulty. But I think it's so fitting. The Lord bears the honor and the responsibility of burying Moses. The Lord provides a grave for the one that the scripture says he spoke to as a friend. So the Lord takes responsibility to bury his friend, Moses. The Lord shows respect and love for his dear friend. I think maybe the Lord even dug the grave. Some, some Jewish chacham, wise men, I think they're wise guys in this case, because I don't think they quite get it right. They, they think, oh, the, uh, the pure soul of Moses buried the dead body of Moses. And I'm thinking, that's a challenge. <laughs> but what could be worse than to imagine this, that the God who, who you have served has basically said, go bury yourself. That would be terrible. You know, it's worse than these westerns, these dark westerns, you know, where the bad guys, the outlaws, you know, they have the good guy and they make him dig a grave. But can you imagine if the Lord said to Moses, go dig your own grave, throw yourself into it, die, but before you die, pull all the dirt down on you. I just don't think that's how it worked. As I understand it, the Lord did the burying, and I like to think the Lord would have washed the body of Moses after his death and then wrapped him and then placed his body in the grave and then carefully filled the grave because that's what it means to bury someone. And when it says the Lord buried Moses, what an awesome picture because the Lord is saying to Moses, it's time to leave them and go with me. And I'll be there with you at the end. And together, we'll go into the future that I have for Israel. And then you can imagine when Moses shows back up on that other mountain with Yeshua and Elijah, it's a good time, not a bad time. They're still dealing with the same issues People trying to make their life without the covenant. People trying to save themselves or think, there's not really a storm that's gonna affect me. I don't have to deal with anything. It's a powerful, powerful passage. I wanna move into the Brita Shah portion today. Luke chapter 24. It's really a powerful, powerful passage that talks about the post-burial of Yeshua. Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of the disciples were going toward a village about seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed, Yeshua himself came up and walked along with them. Now, when when you listen to this or when you're reading it, I want you to grasp the sense of humor Yeshua has that is both brilliant and a little dark. And I don't know, I, I love the guy. I, <laughs> I love his sense of humor here. It, it's like, I tell my wife, you know, I stopped developing after the age of 10. <laughs> and I still have a little boy sense of humor. But as I'm reading this, you know, I so connect with that sense of humor. So as they were talking with each other, Yeshua comes up and walks along with them. Verse 16, but something kept them from recognizing him. He knows Who they are, they don't know who he is. And he asked them, hey, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) It's like the kid brother or something. Yeah, go away. And they stopped short and their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas answered him, you got to be kidding. Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? You don't know what's been going on the last few days? (laughs) And Yeshua continues. He says, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) And they said, the things about Yeshua from Nazareth. Now, as we read these next things, pay attention to what their expectations were of Yeshua. Pay attention to what their disappointments are. And pay attention to how they interpreted the scriptures and their theological ideas. So this is what they say. He was a prophet, and he proved it by the things he did and said before God and all the people. And our high priest, our leaders, handed him over So he could be sentenced to death and executed on a stake just like a criminal. We had hoped he was going to be the one to liberate Israel. And besides all that, today's the third day since these things happened. And this morning, some of the women shocked us. They went to the tomb early when they couldn't find his body. And so they came back, but they also told us that they'd seen angels who said, he's alive. And some of our friends went to the tomb, and they found it just the way the women said, but they didn't see him. Do you you hear the disappointment? And can you recognize the expectations they had? He was going to set us free from these occupying Romans and all the corrupt collaborators, We thought for sure he was the one. And now it's been days and nobody even knows where his body is. He's gone. And the women, yeah, they said. Verse 25, Yeshua said to them, foolish guys, you're so unwilling to put your trust in everything the prophet spoke. Didn't Messiah have to suffer and die like this before entering his glory? And then, starting with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things that can be found throughout the Tanakh concerning himself that Messiah had to die before entering his glory. The prophets knew it, Moses knew it. He gave them a beautiful Bible study as they're walking along, and they're still thinking he doesn't know what happened but he's trying to explain something from the Bible. And their expectations and their disappointments and the way they understand scriptures are still limiting them so that they're not seeing things clearly, they're not hearing things clearly, they're not understanding with their hearts. It goes on, verse 28. Now be mindful of this, they still don't know who he is. They approached the village where they were going. It was a seven mile walk, right? He made it, he made as if he were going on farther, but they held him back. Okay, so now he's continuing with this sense of humor. It's like, well, I gotta go guys. Nice talking to you. No, 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 please, please, let's uh, continue. They held him back and they said, stay with us. It's almost evening, it's getting dark. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And so he went in to stay with them, and as he was reclining with them at the table, remember, it's still during Passover, he took matzah, he made a bracha, he broke the matzah, he handed it to them, then look, then their eyes were opened. Say that with me. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. First their eyes were opened, then they recognized him. It's not that they recognized him and their eyes were opened, it's that their eyes were open. And because of that, they recognized who he was. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine how they'd process that whole conversation, the walking and the Bible study and the discussion. You know. I, I thought he was just like some strange guy who didn't even know what was going on. He wasn't following the news. But it was Yeshua. And then it says he became invisible to them. Now this this shows that the Lord is willing to use humor on one hand and a little spooky stuff on the other (laughs) in order to reach people. So first they see him, then he's gone. And they said to each other, and this is where they're like sort of boasting a little bit, oh, didn't our hearts burn? As he spoke to us on the road, opening up the Tanakh to us. (laughs) No, they were like burning up. You're like, what do you mean we don't understand the scriptures? (laughs) Verse 33, they got up at once, they returned to Jerusalem. You know what that means? I mean, do the math. Seven mile walk again. Okay, so now they walked 14 miles. They found the 11 gathered together with their friends saying, hey guys, it's true, the Lord has risen. Shimon saw him, and then the two told what had happened on the road and how it had become known to them in the breaking of the matzah, and they were still talking about it with, there he is! (laughs) Standing among them. 37, startled and terrified, they thought they were seeing a ghost. I just have this picture of them, you know, like getting up, running, bumping into each other, like, ah, how do you get out of here? What's going on, oh, this is. And he says to them, why are you upset? Why these doubts inside of you? Look at my hands and my feet. It is me. Touch me. You'll see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I do. As he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Remember, he was resurrected but not yet glorified. And he had physicality again, but it was different. He didn't look exactly the same. He didn't sound exactly the same. But they could touch him. He wasn't a ghost, he had physicality. Verse 41, while they were still unable to believe it for joy, Okay, they're so happy. You know, like, they've gotten over, they've gotten over the line, and and now it's like, oh, this is so great. (laughs) And and then they stand there dumbfounded, and this is my favorite verse in the whole passage. Yeshua looks at them and he says, got anything to eat? I imagine him saying, I am starving. (laughs) I didn't really enjoy my last supper, as you know. (laughs) I haven't eaten for days. I'm famished. What you got to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, which he took and ate in their presence broiled over fire, you know, they didn't put it in the convection oven under the broiler or anything. He's opening their spiritual eyes. He's speaking to them. He's saying, you know, you you didn't understand things correctly. And because of wrong understanding, wrong expectations, and your disappointments, you didn't know what was really happening. I'm back. <laughs> and he's back with not a sense of tragedy, but a sense of humor. He's back with joy, with gladness. And he he reveals himself in a way that's unforgettable to them. They will never forget that encounter. This is not... You know, Jesus in a cloud, walking six feet above everybody, sort of floating and like, yes, my sons. <laughs> no, nah, this, is, this is our kinsman redeemer who paid everything for, for us to be free. This is the rescuer, like the fast water rescuers, the swift water rescuers who can get in the middle of the most dangerous of circumstances in a storm and go rescue somebody and bring them back. This is like the best. And it changes them and their attitudes and their, their understanding and they put it in writing. They tell each other, they write it down for a reason so that you and I can understand with the hope that you and I will get eyes that see and ears that hear. And that we can deal with the reality of what God shows us, not by being morose, but understanding where things are going. And that God is going with us and to teach us to number our days so that even if we only have a few days left or many days left, we'll use them for his purposes. And we will continue to center our lives on him. That's a great story that the Lord has shared with us. And he wants us to live with that kind of understanding and that kind of expectation so that we're not just sad about the disappointments in life, but we understand God will overturn even the things that have been difficult and tearful for us. And he'll save us. He will rescue us to the uttermost, to the point where we may be running around scared crazy, bumping into each other, confused and dumbfounded, and then finally collapsing in joy. It's like, ah, <sighs> These holidays are meant to help us get there. And I pray for all of us that they do. Lord, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for resurrection life. Thank you for your victories. Thank you for the joy that you've set before us. That was enough to motivate you to endure the cross. And let it be, enough to motivate us so that we can enter with you into your sufferings, but not be held down because of that, that we would experience your victory, your faithfulness, and your companionship during these days of our lives. We pray this in Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. We're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. I invite you to come next door, have coffee and fellowship with us afterwards. Never forget your children. You should already have them in your (laughs) (laughs) possession. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.